Welcome to QSMU, where we share inspiring stories and ideas, helping you to find a lifestyle true to yourself. Hello and welcome to episode 10. My name is Freddie Saliba and today we're doing something a little bit different. So my friend Maria Phillips is turning the tables and interviewing me. This is part one. We're going to have a part two soon. You guys ready? Let's get into it. Boom, boom, boom. Hello, my name's Maria and today we're going to do something a little different. I've decided I'm going to interview Fred on his own podcast because he has a very interesting life himself and he would be a perfect candidate to be interviewed on this podcast and we need to have a little bit more of his story on here. So welcome, Fred. How are you today? Very good. Thank you, Maria. (laughs) Thanks for coming. (laughs) I guess I want to ask you to share with your listeners about your own history a little bit and how you've ended up where you are. Just to give us a little bit of context, you're at the moment living in Santiago in Chile, is that right? Correct. So, I am here on a working holiday visa. So, for people who don't know what that means, Australia especially has a lot of countries that they can get working holiday visas for and then they're reciprocal. So, a lot of people come to Australia as well when you're under 30. And that's for a year. Yeah, so generally about a year. Most Australians tend to go to England, though, one, because of the language. I have heard of a lot of people going to England. But also you get uh, two years in England. So Uh, that's the other thing that people like. Yeah, and that's nice. Okay, so you're living it up in Chile and doing your own thing, which is nice. And I would like to ask you more about that. Like, what are you actually doing day to day? What does it mean, working holiday visa? Where are you working? Okay, so... To put in context, this is actually my second working holiday visa. So the first one I did in Sweden and I worked And we'll get into all of that. Yeah, Yeah. but but a bit different there. So there for my working holiday, I worked in a restaurant. But part of that was because the language side, you can work in English. I like I learned a bit of Swedish, but I was able to work in English, find a job quite easily there. Over here... Go into it a bit more later, but I've decided I didn't want to really find a job here. People are like, oh, then why did you get a working holiday? But <laughs> that's what. There's a lot of, of questions. But didn't even realize it till later, though. But it's the idea of starting again. I wanted to start something online, like this podcast, teaching English online. So you're moving towards working online so that you can travel anywhere you like. But at the moment, though, I am also doing a a workaway, which if you don't know, it's a bit like wolfing is another similar sort of thing. I have no idea what either of those are. (laughs) (laughs) So they're similar. Wolfing's more just like farming, ecological sort of stuff, but Workaway is a bit broader, but it's pretty much a website, two different ones that you apply for, like you pay like a year fee or something, and then you can look for hosts who will take you and you work. For Workaway, it's generally like three to five hours a day, five days a week, and then you get accommodation. Generally, you get food as well. So I did one with a hostel when I first arrived, and now I'm doing one helping cleaning Airbnbs in Santiago. So I just 
clean it after checkout and check-in, so three hours or so, and then I get accommodation and food. Yeah, but not much spending money, so you have to fill that gap somewhere else. That sounds really good. Well, maybe if we can backtrack a little bit and actually go through kind of how you even got here. Let's do it. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm excited. So I guess we want to talk about your education and what you've done in the past and some hobbies and things. So let's start with your education. So you grew up in Melbourne, Australia. So some people may not know that. And were you born in Melbourne, Australia? Yes, I was. My parents still live in the same house that I grew up in. And they've been there like 40 years? Uh, in the 80s, so, yeah, 30-something. Yeah, we're looking about 40 so, years, something 40 like years. that. 30? <laughs> <Almost. laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I can't even imagine staying in one place that long. <laughs> so then near the city there, near Melbourne, which is one of the nicest cities in the world, apparently. And you went to school kind of near the city as well? Well... I initially went to a local primary school, so Albert Park, which is a public school. So in Australia, yeah, we've got public and private. So public is like the free one or like close to free. And private is you have to pay. Yeah. So I started off with a public school, which is local, and it was awful, honestly. Like the first year that I had. um, Are we talking at five years old here? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So going into prep, so five or six or whatever. And the principal got sick. And so our teacher just had to substitute for being the principal. Oh, God. Until they got better. She didn't get better. So we had substitutes literally the whole year. See, that is horrendous. And the problem with public schools, and because they are free or close to free, they don't have much funding. So if something like that happens, they don't automatically just get a new teacher. They have to make do. And the students can really suffer from that. Before that, it wasn't even just prep my year level it was prep one and two so it was all these different year levels i didn't actually learn to like properly read until the next year i remember having a teacher who was just like i was looking and i was just kind of guessing she was just like sound out the words sound out the letters i was like oh like you know this but you look back and you're like, that is the most stupid thing. But as a kid, no one's told because you. Because you had substitutes. There was nobody there to help you through that. Yeah. But then in grade four, so that's when I was about 10, I ended up moving to a private school because my sister had moved there the previous year and my parents were really happy with that. So I ended up moving there. And yeah, it's like one of the most expensive schools, but it's not about that. It was just, they're really, really good, really well done. So a grammar school. Yeah, so grammar school and Anglican, but not really religious. So pretty fancy. Yeah. (laughs) Did you have to wear a blazer every day? blazer i uh, had to wear uh like a cane hat no way like way way a blazer <laughs> well, and a cane so. hat could you um, could you share uh, a photo yeah we can put this in the notes i would love to see that you get your private school boys walking around the city with their blazers so we had it until like year eight where they changed the uniform that we had to wear that hat and also the summer uniform for the boys and then the girls dresses were like what they called the girls dresses were like potato sack like that sort of color (laughs) as well it was awful brown (laughs) and we had yeah that as our shirts and shorts in primary school for the guys it was awful Uh, (laughs) but at least the cane hats in senior school they had like you know the like a bit like the cowboy ones oh so it was a bit prettier bit nicer yeah but the girls were and the boys in primary school were flat and just 
you know, oh. looked like you were from the 1800s. It's so <laughs> Had to wear them to and from. Had to wear them to be outside. Um, how did you find a grammar school education? Was it intense? Honestly, very, very good. Although when I first got there, I think the first year I had to get like extra help. To catch up. So I got taken out of the class and honestly, I felt so stupid then. Like in retrospect, I know it's because the schooling I didn't have, so I was catching up. But to me, it was like, oh, I'm a stupid kid, you know, I don't know anything, oh, I'm dark, you know. That's terrible. Yeah, so maybe it wasn't managed that well. Well, they probably didn't explain it well enough. I probably didn't even speak to my parents too much about it. Probably a bit embarrassed. They might have known, or I presume they know, but you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But yeah, so it was there until year 12, so the graduation. And that's at 18. Okay, well, that's great. And what did you think when you were at school that you would do when you grew up? Uh, well, dance. Uh, dance. So, yeah. Tell us more about dance. Okay, so when I was about three or four, my sister, who's four and a half years older than me, she was doing ballet and, you know, I'd go along to see it and I just said, I want to do that. Oh, wow. I was like, okay. So That's I started, great. yeah, when I was about three or four. A ballet class. Ballet class. Wow. Ended up doing like jazz, tap and contemporary as well and finished ballet, I think, when I was about 15, 16 and continued mainly with contemporary, which I went and started a university degree in as well. So so when you finished school, you went straight into, is it the College of Arts in the city? They do no, the ballet and the contemporary? I, no. I tried for that, but I didn't get in. But honestly, I didn't really want it either because that's, I mean, you've got a lot of ballet and contemporary, like it's a mix, but it's a big focus on ballet. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. And my issue is I had a, I had a big issue with ballet by the end of it. So what happened with ballet? A lot of self-esteem issues in the end. Our teacher, who was a Russian dancer. Wow, an old-school Russian dancer. Old-school Russian dancer. And oh, terrifying. the fact is she, <laughs> I think she thought or, or knew that all her students were going to finish and become professional dancers. I don't think any of them did. We were just, you know, small school in Albert Park. And you maybe were doing it for fun in some way. Also, I think I know like my sister had similar issues because if you were a little bit overweight or anything, she'd just give it as it is, you know, like, oh. and you can't do it, you know, with girls. I remember with one of the girls who she was putting on muscle and she told her to stop doing whatever it was, sport it was, like soccer or whatever because she's putting on muscle and she's looking too big to be a dancer yeah and they want them underweight and anorexic and all of that in the old school as i say it's not a professional thing like come on yeah she took it a bit too seriously i think that student left the next year you know and it happened all the time but i also got a lot because being male i was the only male for most of the time there wow that's pretty confronting, being the only male the whole time there. I didn't mind that, except the way that I was treated, because it was like, I think it was just, she had thought she'd push me further. What do you mean? Like, how was she treating you? Well, I remember the last, the time where I decided that was it. So that year, like my final year that I did it, she, she wanted me to do the class above that I was doing. And there was like three students there, but not do that exam wanted me to also oh, I can't remember exactly but there was something like I wasn't actually doing a proper exam which you normally do every year 
Oh, I think it was that year above or something, but I had to do the class and then just kind of like just forcing me to do all this stuff. And so it was too hard. No, like I don't she was know. pushing you to. Okay. But, you know, like everyone else is, oh, I think also the same, like doing jazz and tap. Everyone else in my group went up except for me. And they were saying it was because they wanted the males in the lower one. But you're like, it shouldn't be about your sex. It should be about your skill. I was so bored out of my mind. Yeah, okay. So you felt like they were pointing the finger at you being male and trying to use the fact that you were male. Like, I want you in this class. Yeah, and like in the ballet sense, she was pushing me a lot further. And I remember in this hour class. Further? What do you mean by further? Like get better, go faster, yeah, work harder? Yeah. I know that, yeah, the last class that I, where I was like, this is it, was it was an hour class and it was the class that I was doing extra really with these two other girls and half of it, she literally just screamed at me going, you know, you're not doing good enough, you haven't done enough homework, like literally half an hour. That's crazy. I literally went home and I said to her, I was like, I'm done. I'm doing this exam and I'm done. Like, I'm not doing one class after that. Oh, that's so sad. Was it sad to leave? God, no. I was like, let me out of here. Oh, you were ready. I was done. But I also had the contemporary that I was loving because it was a bit more freestyle because you use the techniques in contemporary. How to point, how to use a posture, you know, but you can almost do whatever you want in some way. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're very different to ballet. Whereas ballet is like, specific positions this that you know yeah doesn't matter what body shape you are or you know (laughs) okay so then you went into contemporary and then was there like a cheerleading stint yes so like so I went to Deakin and what was that a dance degree bachelor of creative arts and I majored in dance and I was going to major in drama as well because why not so at that university so Deakin yeah in Melbourne but a bit further out, near you probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they have like a cheerleading competition. It's more like bring it on sort of cheerleading, not the uh, pom-poms. Oh, it's wow. Like, have you got any videos I to definitely share? do. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. I was hoping you do. So pretty much you're throwing people up in the air. and I'm so excited to see these videos. You've got a mix between tumbling, so doing flips, choreographed dance moves and the stunts wow so so much fun like we were just practiced every once no twice a week so we did a tumbling session and a normal one i think we might have even done three the following year we didn't cheer anyone on it either so oh really so it was just the the cheerleading but not actually just for competition oh wow okay that actually sounds like the best part yeah exactly (laughs) yeah so i finished up with my dance degree nine months in. Okay, so I did the degree and I part, I think this is part from the going back to the ballet self-esteem thing that I never felt I was good enough at it. At the dancing At itself. dancing. I was wow, like, that's, yeah, like, that's really sad. You probably were. You know, people will be like, oh, you've been doing it for like, 10 years oh you're so good and I'm like no I'm horrible like I am terrible like I literally that is such an issue that's really shocking because the teachers were probably the old school teachers they thought they were actually motivating you but they were actually destroying the joy you had in dancing exactly and that's where I mean these days if someone's going oh like what sort of motivation do you need it is not that that is the worst motivation for me 
some people it works well, but for me, I'd be like, nah, I'm tapping out. See you later. Yeah, I think it's horrendous. I can't do anything if I'm being yelled at. But some people can. And traditionally in ballet, if you go at those high competitions, I remember seeing some documentary on this Russian ballet or something like now, and they were saying like the teachers are literally like, Rah, like screaming and they're like, hey, that's what you got to do. That's disgusting. That's what it is. And I'm like, that is horrible that it is accepted. So you gave up the degree and gave up dancing as well? No, so I finished ballet before, started contemporary when I was 13, 14, because I did it at school. So they offered dance at school. Oh, that's nice. As classes, it was from year 10, so like 15. But they had like each year they had a production and that was contemporary. Yeah, I did that. I was the dance captain in year 12. So you probably weren't that bad oh, I don't at know. dancing. <laughs> <laughs> I much more enjoyed the contemporary. I guess it was also because I wasn't getting the negative thoughts. Going into the degree, I was like, oh, I want to do this, but I want to become a choreographer. I was like, but I don't want to be like an actual dancer, which is going into this sort of stuff is probably not the easiest to just go in and be a choreographer. I mean, you need to do a mixture of both. But I didn't even get that far. I was like, yeah, cool. Got part way through my first year. So past this first semester, I was in the second semester. I don't know what happened. I just went, no, this isn't for me. I don't know. I think it was trying to turn, you know, something fun and passion into a career. And that can make it dry and clinical maybe. Yep. And you're there like writing out the steps. Yeah. <laughs> and going, do I really want to be like paid and do this all the time and stress, especially like with some money, like. I'm not that passionate. Of, and like, how are we going to earn the money as well? Was that an issue? I wouldn't mind it if it's okay. I don't know. Like, But I was just like, in dancing, you don't get any money. It is so, so hard. I know when you start out with my therapy, it's hard, but there's prospects of actually getting money, you know. Whereas um, dancing is like really, really hard. Yeah. yeah. And I just went, okay. I really want to do this. And then what happened? And then I was just sitting there going, what do I want to do? I don't want to sit in a desk behind a computer. Talk about that one later because I think that's what I'm doing now. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, did you feel that it just wasn't in your personality to sit at a desk? Didn't want to be sit at a desk day in, day out. I couldn't picture. Yeah, I was the same. I mean, my dad works as a wine merchant and I've worked as that, but I didn't see that for me as a career. I was like, eh, yep. Uh, my mum's done all these variety of things. So I looked like everything I could think of. I was like, no, none of this. I can really relate to this. You think of every single job in the world and go, I don't want to do it. Exactly. I think I was out on campus and someone was like, oh, can you give me a massage? So, you know, you know, do, doing massage trains. So massaging each other's shoulders. And I just went, man, I love doing this. But I love the satisfaction people get. Oh, yeah. You give a good massage. Thank you. You know, that gratitude. And I was like, that's what I like. That's what I want to do. So I started looking at massage courses. There was a few different ones. And I went to Endeavour College where you and I went yeah, so that's how we met. We did the degree together. We didn't meet each other until like the second year, I think. The funny thing is I was at the same place. I didn't know what I wanted to do and I really loved giving my friends massages and I just thought, let's do that. But, yeah, we didn't meet till the second year. But the funny thing is I went in to apply for the diploma 
of massage. Yes, me too. Oh, you did too? Yes. <laughs> Probably so many people. I think it's because the degree was called Bachelor of Health Science uh, Musculoskeletal Therapy. What is that? I don't know. What is that? And even the guy describing it on the phone was like, well, you get to help people a little bit with their muscle injuries. <laughs> yeah, it was so vague. Yeah, I went in to talk to them and they're like, oh, yeah, like you've got this, but you've also got this other one. It's pretty much like the massage but longer and it's a degree and it's subsidized whereas the other one you have to pay something 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 I don't know and I was like actually that's what I prefer to do same here they were like it's eleven thousand dollars up front if you'd like to do the diploma but the degree is like thirty thousand but the government will pay for it I was like okay we're gonna do that one (laughs) exactly so I'm just putting a jacket on because it's getting cold over here Staying in this Airbnb. You are in a singlet. (laughs) Well, I'm staying in an Airbnb and in the room it's cold, but they've got heating in the living room. It's so boiling. Can I just say, is it summer or winter over there? I don't even know. Winter. So it's the same as Australia. It is winter. It's the same. Okay. Yeah. Which is kind of stupid. If I'm going to go somewhere, I should have swapped hemispheres and (laughs) skipped the winter, uh, unless I'm actually doing like a proper winter. You know, this is not well, you, a proper winter. Well, the thing that in. confused me was that you're sitting there in a singlet. So I'm like, yeah. what is going on over there? <laughs> Maybe it's summer. So back to, so you enrolled, you were going to do just massage, but you enrolled in a musculoskeletal therapy degree. Correct. And how did you find that? Well, I don't think I figured out what we were doing, sort of what we were doing until like second year, maybe third. Uh, and then I, I loved it, you know. Yeah, so we didn't figure out what we were really studying until a couple of years in. So the first couple of years was massage and kind of relaxation massage and then it turned into more clinical um, muscle treatment and prevention of injuries. And I think the other good thing, although we had to fight for it, was we were able to get our certificate at the end of – well, I got it at the end of – after the first semester sort of thing. And then you get like your diploma at the end of the second year, a certificate in massage, and then you got your diploma in remedial massage, and then you got the degree. So we were able to start working before then, before we finished if we wanted to. Which was great. Whereas if you started the year after, you had to wait, no, it was still three years. Yeah, they had to wait the whole year. You couldn't even work in it at all until you finished. So how did you find it when you started? You loved it. So, yeah, I loved working in it and helping the people. I had, yeah, a little bit of a weird start. So I started as a massage therapist before I got my diploma. I started in like a Chinese medicine place. It was okay, but I was getting treated very like a massage person, which I was at the time. But And also like, oh, well, you're doing dry needling, but we do acupuncture, so... Which for people listening, dry needling's more in the like muscle and relaxing the muscle, which acupuncturists say they do, but the thing is they don't really learn the muscular system and trigger points. So we I mean, let's not get out too into it, but trigger points are just a quick summary for the listeners, yeah. Yeah, muscle muscle related yeah. tight knots really. Well, well let's call it that. It's not exactly and right. And we put a needle into those tight knots to help to relax the muscle and it's similar to muscle and it. it was but so painful in a good way but yeah. acupuncture's anytime i've done it is not painful because they don't go into the muscles so 
Not so at all acupuncture, the same thing. they put a needle into um, a point of key, which is where the energy describes it as it actually correlates a lot with blood flow. So apparently the little points for acupuncture actually correlate a lot with blood flow. And so it encourages a lot of blood flow through the body. And so some of those points coincide with the muscle points that we use. So there was a lot of confusion. But the thing is that they never manipulated the muscle that we did, where you like, the muscle twitches. It's crazy, 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 crazy. But anyway, so there was this whole like, uh, we're better than you. And I went. There was political stuff going on with like, I'm a practitioner that helps people and I, I help people better than you help people with similar instruments. And I ended up starting my own business when I got my diploma of remedial massage. was really enjoying it, working for myself, bringing clients in. But I felt no matter what you do, whether you work for someone else or you work for yourself, 99% of the jobs, maybe it's changed now, and I think it'll change in five, 10 years, all have to bring your clients in anyway. So I was like, I may as well just open my own business. What's the point in paying someone else to take my clients? You have to do your own advertising anyway. Yeah, so why, why would I go to someone else if I have to find the clients anyway? So what you're saying is when you work for someone else in massage... You still have to do your own advertising and then you just like pay them a percentage. Yeah, a lot of the time. Sometimes you didn't, I don't know, but a lot of the time you had to do that and it was really strange. So I just went, let's do it myself. Enjoyed it, but it was it's a slow process. Any sort of your own business, but advertising for that, as you know, just is so hard. Takes a long time to build up. I always thought it was, I'm not good at self-promoting, but I'm good at self-promoting this sort of thing. Is a bit different. Saying, hey guys, listen to this, but I don't know if it's because the podcasting is free to listen to or, but I'm enjoying this side a lot more. But yeah, yeah, it's more fun. The thing about it is completely on your own. You have clients, yeah, that's great, but then you can talk to them, that's cool, but then between it, you don't have anyone really to motivate you and get advice really on how to run your business you put it online and people are friendly about it because you're just on your own but people are friendly about how to help with your advertising but no one really knows that's the issue no one knows. everyone's just winging it that's the hard thing and then you're in there treating on your own you can ask advice on how to treat everything like that too but down to it it's all up to you i don't know i'm a massive extrovert i love people 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 it's like when i'm in on the treatment and people don't want to talk and i'm like bitches please come on yeah yeah i'm not here to just not talk to you um <laughs> it can be lonely oh it's so lonely This sort of work is so different. I mean, people are still trying to figure it out. There's so much you can do, so many ways to do it. It just is so much more support. Maybe it's also because I've joined this location indie group that has helped as well, but there's something else. Can you tell us about this group that you've joined? Yes. So, yeah, a thing called Location Indie. So it's founded by these guys, Travis and Jason, who have their own podcast individually and together. So they've got mainly travel blogs or podcasts, but this one's about location independence. So the idea of work that doesn't matter where you are, as long as you've got a computer, you're good. Computer, internet, you can do it from anywhere. That sort of ideology. That's fantastic. But it can be any way. You could be a graphic designer and being contracted or be, I can't even, my brain is, there's so much, you know, obviously podcasting, you're a web designer and make web designs for people. 
counseling, freelance, anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Any kind of freelancing online. Or you could just do your own thing. If you've got a computer, you think of the people in an office job. If they've got a computer, why can't they do it at home? But in their idea, it doesn't even have to be at home if you don't want to. You could be over here in Chile. You could be in China. You could be wherever you want. It doesn't mean that you have to be nomadic. It just means you have the option to choose the life you want and choose the hours you work. Well, that sounds amazing. And it's something that's becoming more and more popular. But the community they've built is really just this whole idea, they say, surround yourself people that are like you. um, And I can't think of the exact term. You speak the same language with them and you have the same ideas. Yeah. And you get the support. I think I'm lucky that I get like yourself and your partner, Zach, are doing it. But I mean, Zach, I feel like I'm on a completely different wavelength for Like when he first did it, I was like, yeah, I don't know if I could do that. Uh, That's not for me at all. But Yeah, yeah. When you first hear about it, it sounds really intimidating. Different way of doing it, you know. I feel like I'm getting support, but still not everyone understands either. And to really imagine like you've got a bit like Facebook for in the community. So you just put out a status and going, what podcasting equipment do you use? I didn't ask that, but you know, like what sort of mic do you prefer? And people are like, oh, I've got this, I've got this. And you're like, awesome. Or just a random question. Or Is this a Facebook group? No, so this is the one that I, so I pay, it's like 49 American dollars a month. You get this community. So you can talk all this. Everyone's super friendly. They also have like weekly calls. So I think once a week they do nomad hotspots. So Last okay. The other week we did Chile, so I got to talk about Chile and some other people talked about Chile. Good places to go if you set up yourself for Chile or if you wanted to go on vacation and all the do's and don'ts sort of thing. So they do one of those with different locations every month. So you get that wanderlust of travel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. So they have accountability calls. So they have that once a month. So they had that today. You set up your goals for the month. You say challenges that you've had and... Because all these people are working for themselves, freelancing, basically. Yeah, all, they all, all get together to. and support each other. It's either you are or you're wanting to. So when I started, I was not doing anything. Wanting to do the podcast. There's a lot of people who are working full-time jobs and they want to transition into this. Or they're already doing it and they want to skill up or be surrounded by people. And then they'll have different themes once a month, you know, how to get your marketing better or they had one on how to become a freelancer, how to find more work or um, things like that. And I pretty much get on every call possible, one, to get to know people and two, just because I was like, I don't know what I'd want to do. Let's just find out everything. Why not? So you've gone from having your own business in massage. So you still have your own business, but you've just kind of changed the way that you're doing that basically. Do you think running your own business in my therapy has given you the confidence to go off and do this? It's definitely helped. You learned so many business skills and making the website has been a lot easier. I just redid it again today. So that was quite exciting. Have a look. I'm much more happy with it. But you know, just basic skills on that, the confidence. I think it's also the traveling has helped. Part of why I really wanted to do it is For some reason, I feel like once I started traveling and doing something different, people were resonating. On Facebook, I'd put up a post. Thousands of people would be liking it, no matter just what it is. Okay, like, calm down, guys. (laughs) Yeah, there's interest. 
There's a need for it. But I come back and people are like, oh, what did you do? Like, tell me about everything. And I'm like, well, like, okay. Because a lot of people want to do it. And that's where I went, I need to get myself out there more for these people, even the people that I don't know. Because for some reason I'm resonating, whether it's a personality, what I'm doing, combination. I feel like that's what I need to do. And I'm loving it. So you found a calling through it. That's amazing. It seems that way. Yeah. Tell us more about that. Tell us more about how this feels like a calling. It's amazing. A lot of people don't know how to find that. I don't know. I guess it's part going back to the work-wise as well. Also, a bit that we didn't touch on why I went from my therapy to overseas is always known I wanted to travel. I love traveling and I felt so stuck that I eventually got there, got overseas and did this. I think that's a whole nother discussion, having your own business and how did you go travelling. I would love to delve into that if you're happy to delve into it. Absolutely. Tell us about going from your own business and feeling stuck and lonely to going and doing, a. I guess, was the first thing a working holiday in Sweden you decided you were going to do. I remember you called one day and you you just called and said, I'm going to get overseas. (laughs) Let's (laughs) go go back before that. When I was 16, I went and did a six-month exchange in France. Through the school? No. So through school, you could only do like summer, so like three weeks or something, two weeks. And I was like, no, no, I want to go for like six months. I want to go learn language, whatever it is. I was learning French, so I was like, why not? Probably also my mum. She speaks French. Oh, but I was like, wherever, and she was like, if you're going to do it, you have to go to France and learn proper French. No offence to everyone else, all the other French people. Uh, <laughs> I think it also at one point she said, you're the sort of person that once you decide on something, you're going to do it. Oh, which wow. Is very true. Yeah. Same thing I with the podcast. That. I had the thought and I was like, I'm going to do this. I even remember she was like, oh, okay. And I was like, no, like, this is happening. It's why these accountability calls are fine. It's like, I'm saying I'm doing this, therefore I'm doing it. And it's not about other people, it's for me. You do it for yourself. But yeah, I decided to go on this. Six months, stayed with a family who were just incredible. Went back and visited them a couple of years ago when I was in Europe again. Yeah. And I felt like it was two days ago. It was just incredible. The host father, Bruno, I went to the movies with all the time and he was like my best buddy there. Obviously, I had like a lot of troubles as well, but that's part of it when you completely change situations. You don't speak the language. I didn't learn anything at school nothing 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 so did you go to school there for the six months so it was pretty much like the second last year of school so they call it premiere and then you've got whatever i can't remember what's above premiere and they have different divisions as well so they're so academic and i never thought of myself as an academic person since going to uni actually i think i can be but i need a purpose for it you know i can study science i just need a reason to do it so they would put you either science literature can't remember there was a few other ones uh economics or something i was like oh i don't know whatever and they put me in literature so i did two different classes of english in english and advanced english they put me in spanish oh, wow. and i was like i was so nervous i ended up dropping <laughs> after one class because i was having like a nervous breakdown and look at you now this is like Okay, imagine you barely speak French and you're sitting there in Spanish class. I think they're only speaking in Spanish, which you don't understand one word of Spanish. At all. And they're wanting you to translate it from from French, which you barely understand. (laughs) I was like, please don't ask me questions. Please don't ask me questions. But like, this was literally me for like two hours class. I was like, oh. And I just went went back to my family and I was like, get me out of this. I can't do it. No. 
And they're like, yeah, fair. <laughs> Just to clarify, like, how did you even hook this up? Pretty much there's organisations out there that, um, so this is called AFS. Uh, I can't remember what it stands for, but <laughs> got different ones. And this one, they pretty much, you choose your country. You can probably choose a second country if you want, but you put your application out there and random people just go, yeah, we like you. You just hope for the best. We ended up actually doing the same. We took an Italian student and didn't work too well, to be honest. So I counted myself even more lucky after that to have this amazing family. So I finished back from that six months. And it was funny, I think about four or five months, I got so homesick. It was so hard with the friends. So my family came over for like New Year, which is probably not a great thing in retrospect, but we all realised that because it was like a couple months before I was coming back and I was just like, that made me really homesick after that. But hey, it happened. We were, we were like, yeah. You know. It sounds like a great experience. One month before is like when I got the language, I started meeting people and then I was like, I don't want to come back. Yeah, yeah so you just settled in. I, yeah. But hey, that happens. And then I got back and I was pretty much dreaming about going back to Europe. And you were 16? Yeah, so I got back. No, that was the end of my year 10. I came into year 11, so I did year 11 and 12. I finished those two years and I went, okay, when I finish school, I'm going to go overseas. No, let's go straight to uni because if I take a break, I'm not going to uni. It should be a sign anyway. Let's think of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's adult. a, that's a warning then, sign. Exactly. But you don't think of this. You think, well, I have to do that because you need a degree to do a job. So I was like, okay, I'll start this degree and then I'll take a gap year somewhere. And then I thought, no, no, if I do that, I won't come back and finish the degree because I'm getting so sick of the studying. I just want to get out of the way. So I'll finish the degree and then do that. And then got there and didn't have any money. Of course. So I was like, yeah. oh, let's just work a bit. So what were you doing? Was this the wine merchant job? Yeah, but I just terrible at savings. I should have just stayed at home rather than moving out, but I needed to do that myself as well. But I didn't have money, so I went into the myotherapy, which takes years to make any money. Which is so yeah, this idea of let's let's make money before we go, that's not gonna help. <laughs> you know, like what? So I had a German shepherd who I had adopted. So I think it was like two or three best buddy in my entire world and I even remember I went to like German Shepherd's class every week to give him training I remember like we sat down and we're talking about stuff and I was like man he's my like best thing in the world one day maybe four weeks later he peed everywhere had to take him to the hospital because he wouldn't stop peeing they were like well we have to like take x-rays and it's okay so I left him at the vet for the day luckily I didn't have any clients I was stressing out because I was like, oh, this is just simple. I'll give them some medication. What they tried to do was put something up his intestine through his, like, uh, up that way. And they were like, it's blocked. We're like, we're not sure what that is. So they went to do an x-ray, called me back at like 5 p.m. from a 9 o'clock, so all day. And they were like, we did an x-ray, but we can't see what it is. It's not clear enough. Our equipment's not good enough. So you either leave it at that and put him down or go see a specialist. The vet on its own was like $300 already. Yeah, it's so much money. Yeah, Like just the vet. And then it was going to be, I can't remember, maybe I think it was going to be like 500 600 just to see the specialist. Something crazy, yep. not to mention what could happen next. And I was like, well, yep. I can't just put him down when I don't even know what's going on. I have no idea. So we picked him up from the vet and he was so out of it because he was still on 
drugs. We had to like carry him to the car. Poor thing. I think they drained him as well. So like they, because he had build up of urine. Either that or they did it at the specialist. I can't remember. So I went to the specialist that was open 24-7. So again, extra money. Yeah, yeah. Out of hours. Because the vet took so long. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I went there and about three hours later we went off. They called me and they said, so he's got prostate cancer pretty much. That's blocking it. And it's late stages. It's in the lymphatic system. So it's gone everywhere. And he never showed a sign. They were like, did you notice that he wasn't peeing? And I was like, often you go on walks and he pees everywhere. So sometimes he doesn't get pee out because he's just not very good at figuring out how much he's got. He's just a bit stupid. Dogs do that. And they're like, yeah, it was just being brave. The sad thing also, my mum was in Queensland, who was his second favourite person. So she was devastated. But they pretty much were like, you can pretty much put a hole in him and put it like a stint that will drain his urine because otherwise it'll just build up again. So you have to do that, but it's not going to fix the cancer. So it might have like two, three months anyway. And that will cost like thousands of dollars. You can't. And you're just torturing them at this point. And... We got to the vet. This was all in one day, mind you. And I got to the vet, said our goodbyes, put him down. The thing that the vet, trying to be nice about it, she was like, you know, even if he had one leg, this dog would be so happy no matter what. And I was like, you shouldn't have sold me that after I put him down. Almost saying that I should have kept him. <laughs> like he would have been happy even no, if he was torture. No, but you couldn't have. But I was like, did you really say that? Like, <laughs> I know what you mean, but. <laughs> it would be so hard to know what to say. No, no. But honestly, after that happened, it was this whole thing of like, why did this happen? And I just was trying to justify it in my head. And this whole travel idea that I've been thinking about went on. And I was like, could do that or I might get another dog. But I don't really want another dog. Yeah. I don't want to replace this dog. I don't want to replace my best buddy in the entire world. I can't replace him. And I was like, maybe I should travel. What's stopping me? Because another thing that was stopping me that I didn't mention was Max because I had this dog. I wasn't going to leave him for a year, two years. I could leave, you know, six months maybe. Probably not. I can't leave him because I'm probably going to not come. <laughs> I think I had, I knew it in my heart that I was, you know. Oh, you I think knew, I knew in your heart. But I could, that was why I was like, I can't do it with a dog because there'd be a reason I have to come back. I think I'm just realising that now that I'm saying it. <laughs> Wow. But I think that's when I called you. I was like, I'm going. I'm going next year. And you didn't even know where at that stage. I knew I wanted to go to Europe. It didn't matter. Somewhere in Europe. Somewhere different. Somewhere exciting. Not Australia. Yeah. You've done Australia. No, I haven't. We've got some places I definitely want to do in Australia. But uh, it's cult- for me, it's culture and language. And it's all the same of that in Australia. Things like that are very different in Australia. Like you've got amazing stuff, but Great Barrier Reef I want to do before it dies. All this, like there's so much amazing stuff, but culture-wise, it's all the same, you know. It's all the same, yep. Yeah, and then so I was telling my friends and my sister, yeah, I'm going to go over. It's going to be a year, two plus, I don't know. Had this like... It might be longer if I enjoy it, but I don't want to say that now because I might not enjoy it. So my friends and sister were like, well, my sister had been overseas when she came and visited, but my other two friends hadn't. And they kind of used that as a excuse, one, because they didn't know how long they would would see me, not see me for. And two, they wanted to go to Europe. So they're like, let's go. And it gave me a date. So I was super happy because I was like, all right. We're going on this date. Boom, let's book it in. So they decided to come with you. Yeah. So they came for six weeks and we travelled first 
but it gave me that set date, which even though Max had gone, I might have taken me at least six months longer if they didn't come with me as well because I probably would I have still that. delayed. You would have, of course. Things would have come up. The best thing if for guys in Australia, uh, probably overseas as well. So we went with STA Travel and they've got this amazing thing where you can put a deposit down for like $99 and 89 of it goes towards your flight. It's pretty much a $10 fee and you just have to pay the rest of it. I think it's like two weeks or three, there's just maybe a month. I can't remember exactly. They have a date before the flight. You have to pay it all off, but you can pay it off in whatever amounts. But if you stop, I think you just lose the 99 actually is what happens. You just okay, lose $99. Yeah, just because you wasted their times. But it's only $99. So realistically, if you're worried about money or you're like, oh, like this was the best thing, put the money down now. You've set it and that's the price for now. It's not going to go up. You know, the yep, flight yep. is that price that you agreed on, you know. They've bought it. You're just yep. paying them back. Best thing ever. So Great idea because it's in the diary. You've booked it. Yep, and you have to figure out how to get money. You don't have the money, just figure it out, you know. Yeah, um, I love that. Money comes to you if you try. Let's just wrap up a little bit for a few minutes. So I love that we're ending on the story of why you went to Sweden. Don't just finish there. Tell us how did that turn into Sweden? Well, I was looking at a few different places. So I was looking at all the working holidays, France, Sweden, I was looking at Norway because one, I had a friend when I was in France on my exchange yeah. from Norway, and I love the language. <laughs> also, for Norwegian, I was saying, like, it's a small country, but all these different languages, I mean, it's the same language, but the dialect is so different. And they've also got like, all these different written languages. It's really weird. And I was just like, wow, that's so fascinating. I also play ice hockey, which we didn't touch at all. Oh, that's right. We'll get to that. We'll have another session, won't we? Absolutely. So Scandinavian countries are so well known for the ice hockey. And also the weather. In summer, you've got no sunset. It's only sun. And then winter, it's like four hours sun. Amazing. I've just got to experience this. People are like, it's depressing. I'm like, that's okay. I can do it for a year. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. if Maybe I'll love it. Maybe, you know, I don't know. The reason I didn't go to France was because I think post the terror stuff, they changed the rules that you had to have your return ticket already booked. Uh... And I was like, mm, I don't know if I want to come back after a year. I don't know. I could have gone around it though. That's what they were like. You could book it and then un- like like the $99 one. You could do it and then. And then change it or whatever. Yeah. But you found. The other part, I just went, I think I want to do something different. Like I've done France for the moment. I need something new. I looked between Norway, Sweden, and I think just the application for Sweden was slightly easier. And that's why I went for Sweden yeah, over you Norway. just went, just get it done. Yeah. Because I think Norway was like, you have to have three months accommodation booked or three months work already booked. I was like, oh. And if they make it easy for you, then you're just going to do it because it's just easier. Yeah, so that's why I headed over there. So next time I want to talk all about Sweden and Chile and and sort of what you're doing now and what you're thinking for the future. So we'll book in another time really soon. So thank you for talking to us. It all sounds very inspiring. Thank you so much for coming on and interviewing me, turning the table. Yeah, I love it. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) It is a lot of fun, actually. (laughs) We'll talk soon.
Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learnt a little about me. Don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter at CuriousEmu at CuriousEmu.com. And if you know anyone you would like me to interview, let me know. Remember, guys, stay curious.